Amen and amen. Hey, give somebody a high five and say, give me some space. And find your seat, find your seat. Welcome to Seven Cities Church. Man, what a beautiful sight it is. I am thankful that we had to bring more chairs. Thank you for bearing with us as we uh, work through all of that. I think my team's trying to kill me because I thought they knew me better than put me on a 12-inch platform here. I'll probably fall off before it's over with. I'm not one who likes to sit still, but uh, but welcome. Man, I see a lot of new faces. Maybe you're like, I have no idea what I just walked into. And I'll just give you a quick little snapshot. We are two years old going into our third year. The first year we started online in the middle of the uh, pandemic, kind of had some small group structure. And then last year, we were at a venue over in Portsmouth. And, uh, and now we are here. And so we are uh, two years under our belt. I think we know what we're doing by now. Uh, at least I hope we do, but we're going to continue to push forward towards that. My name is Brian Wood. I'm one of the senior pastors here. I have a co-pastor named Jay Blizzard. Uh, you will see him eventually. Uh, I have no idea where he's at. Probably running around like crazy. Oh, there he is right in front of me. Hey, pastor. Uh, but man, I, I'm excited. I, uh, I like to tell people, they say, well, what, what, what's your denomination or what are you? I say, brother, I'm Baptocostal. And they say, well, what's Baptocostal? I say, I got a little bit of Baptist and I got a little bit of Pentecostal. And so, uh, Here's what I need for those that are a little bit more Pentecostal than you are Baptist. I know you held back because you didn't have lyrics. You don't need lyrics during the message. So I need you all to start shouting down. We can overcompensate some of these Baptists in here. And, uh, and we have a good little mix of that. And so, But I'm excited. I truly am. I'm, I'm honored to be one of the pastors here. God's done some incredible things the last two years. And we believe that he's going to do even more this year. And so I want to start with, uh, with what is becoming, I believe, an age-old question. If you've been around, you know, uh, you've heard me ask this question before. It's kind of a running joke, but I need your participation. By show of hands, where are my iPhone, Apple product people? Come on, throw your hand up. All right. And then where are my Android, any other thing other than Apple? Okay. All right. All right. Well, I won't tell you uh, which one I am. I'll just say this. Uh, I'm not smart enough to have more than one button. And thankfully, I got no buttons now, and so uh, there's that. But anyways, occasionally, and I'll put my foot in my mouth here, my phone messes up, all right? It'll start glitching. It'll start acting in a way that, that doesn't operate in the way that it should. Maybe my apps will stop working or, or my texts aren't coming through. Something's happening to my phone where it's not working. And so I can't speak for you other weirdos who have green texts, but anyways... Uh, I have to go into my settings, and you guys are saying that's why you're going into your settings, and I have to hit the reset button on my phone. And when I hit reset, you really have one of three options. The first one is what they call a soft reset. The second one is a hard reset, and then your third one is a factory reset. And so a soft reset on a phone, essentially all you're doing is restarting your phone. A hard reset, it also it restarts the phone, but it also kind of resets the processor kind of kicks everything back in gear. And then a factory reset is where you wipe the entire phone out, you reset the processor, you reset the phone, and your phone is now what it would have looked like when it left the factory. And as I think about this time of year, I think about how often we set goals in January the 1st. I think about how often we have these dreams. I think about how often we think of these things that that we want to change, that we want to do better at, that we want to stop doing, or maybe we want to start doing. And what happens, 
in about 72 hours is we realize we're not made out for some of that stuff, right? Like, that's not my thing anymore. And I believe what happens is, is we hit what, what, what I would say to, to my, my story, we hit a soft reset. All we do is reset, and we, we restart. And essentially, we're not restarting, we're just allowing the calendar year to roll into a new year, and we think that all of a sudden things are going to change because it's now January 1st. And then sometimes we'll, we'll even hit a hard reset. Maybe we do set some goals and we have a plan and we have a strategy and, and we do stick it out for a couple weeks or maybe even a couple months, but then it begins to fade away. I believe what happens is oftentimes we forget the factory reset, meaning we're trying to do things that we want to see changed. We're trying to add things or stop doing things or become better at this, but we're never actually resetting the root of what's causing us to act or do the behavior that we want to change. Does that make sense? And so over the next three weeks, we're going to kick off a series today called Factory Reset. And we're going to look at three different areas, and I'll tell you what they are ahead of time. Today, obviously, you're going to hear it. We're going to talk about what it looks like biblically to have a physical reset, our physical bodies. I'm not going down these whole New Year goals. I'm going to teach you how to lose five pounds and get to the gym. We're not going there. We're looking at factory design. And then next week, we're going to talk about a mental reset. Mental health is at an all-time high. And I believe we're, we're, we're many times looking at the wrong solution to try to figure out what's actually happening mentally. And then the third week, we're going to talk about a spiritual reset. What does it look like for us to have a spiritual reset? I saw a meme like December 30th, and it was like, for you guys in your Bible plan, read it through a year who are still in Leviticus. You still got time to catch up. But if you know anything about the Bible, that's like, you got a long way to go. You got 60 more books at least to, to get through. But anyways, we're going to talk about that. But what this series is not, it's not a, a three-step self-help. Your life's going to be perfect and everything's going to be good if you do this. This isn't, this isn't it. But I believe that if we will truly assess and look at God's Word about what His Word says about certain areas, we can dig underneath the surface and we can hit that factory reset and begin to change and, and shift some things in those areas of our lives. And so, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 12 today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to pull them out. If they're on your phone, you can do that as well. I'm not saying that your Bible on your phone is bad, but there's something powerful about walking in here with a hard copy. And so, you're going to hear me say that if you stick around. I am a hard copy person. There's too many distractions for me on my phone. And so, so bring your Bibles, bring a pen. I'd love for you to take notes. Uh, you retain more. You go back next day, next day, the next day. Just kind of dig into to what you learned today, but I'm going to be in two verses today. That's essentially it. I'm going to share a few supporting passages to go along, just kind of pushing in the point a little bit, but I want to read it up front. I'm going to give you three things. That's the Baptist in me, by the way. Uh, I got three points. Sometimes I'll surprise you and have two or maybe even seven, but, uh, but for the most part, I got three things for you today, and so I'm going to read these two verses, and we'll jump in. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore... Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. The first thing that I think is important for us that Paul is teaching us here is in order for us to have a physical reset, we need to live with a constant reminder. Write that down if you're taking notes. A constant 
reminder. And you say, well, what, what kind of constant reminder did Paul just give us? I think it's important for us before we look at the reminder that I see here with Paul is to look at the factory design. If we're going to reset something from a factory perspective, we must know what it was designed for when it came out of the factory. And as you think about our physical bodies, you and I were create, created with design. We had a purpose. We, there were, it was intentional. We we're not here by accident. We were created by the Creator. And so I think we have to lay this foundation of, of what our purpose is in regards to why we were designed to begin with. And I'll give you just a few verses to write down. I could give you a ton, but, but it starts in the very beginning. Genesis 1, 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now that verse alone gives a lot of answers to where we are as a society, but I'm not going there today. The, the, the reminder here, the constant reminder is that you and I were created by God. And we were created in his image, meaning the image that we should bear in our physical lives should reflect that of the creator. Then another verse, Revelations 4, 11. It says, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Another reminder, not only were we created, we were created to give worthy, to give glory, to give honor to our Creator. That's what our lives should look like and reflect physically. And then the last one, Colossians 1 16, for everything was created by Him. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. This is our design. This is the factory settings. You and I, created by God Himself with a purpose to glorify Him in all that we do, to give Him honor in all that we do. We were created by Him and for Him. And so we have to understand that foundation that that's how we were created physically and that's what we need to look at in regards to how do we get back to that. And so Paul, he goes on and he gives us a few more reminders here. And Romans 12 is, is probably one of, I don't want to say one of the most, but it's a, it's a really challenging chapter to start a message in. Because there's a very key word in the very first verse, very first word of the chapter. What is it? If you got your Bibles open. Therefore. The word therefore. This is a very powerful word that we can just read and, and move on for. I learned in seminary, if you see the word therefore, ask, what's it there for? Meaning, he said something prior that now is contingent upon where he's going. I'll give you a few just random examples. The bridge is being worked on, therefore the road is closed. Right? I woke up late this morning, therefore I was late to work. There was a man who died on a football field, therefore God showed his power to millions of viewers and said, you want to see something, I'll show you, right? Like, there's therefore. I'll give you a real good one. The Dallas Cowboys are healthy and going to the playoffs, therefore we're going to the Super Bowl. Come on, somebody. All my Pentecostal folks are Cowboys fan. I already know. Alright, now that I just messed up the whole sermon and where we're going here. Listen, therefore, it's important. Because what Paul is saying, this specific therefore in verse 
1 of chapter 12 is really connected to chapter 11. But if we take the principle, we could look at the first 11 chapters of Romans and look at the foundation that Paul has laid to get to this place now in Romans 12 where he's saying, hey, I've told you all of this, therefore I want you to do this. We're going to get to what that is in just a moment, but I think I just want to take a moment and remind you of some of the things that Paul has told us and reminded us of in the first 11 chapters that if we will live with those reminders as a constant reminder, it will help us live physically reset the way that God has intended. And we start in Romans chapter 3. I'm not going to go through a bunch of scripture. I'll just kind of pull a, pull, pull a few of the principles out. But, but he talks about how, how we are sinners. And there's a price for that sin. And that sin, there's a consequence for it. But there was something named Jesus who paid the price for that. And because of that, the Holy Spirit now indwells inside of us. And he says, I want to remind you of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you that because of that, you've now been adopted into the family of God. I want to remind you that the things that you're facing, I know it doesn't feel good. I know you don't understand it, but it's doing something. I want to remind you in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No life, no death, no height, no depth. There's nothing. Like there is nothing that can separate, nothing you've done, nothing you will do, nothing you can do. Like these are the reminders, and then he talks about the mercies of God. Like what would happen if that wasn't just an afterthought in our lives? And for many of us, you've grown up in church your entire life, and you've heard this stuff, and it's just like white noise to you now. Listen, this isn't white noise. This is why we live, and if we are reminded daily of these things, it changes the way we live physically. It changes the way you act. It changes the way you speak. It changes the way you respond to someone who doesn't vote like you. It changes the way you act when somebody cuts you off in the middle of the road. Like It changes things because you're reminded constantly that someone named Jesus Christ has done something for you that you can never do on your own. Like You're, you're indebted, and, but it's been paid for. I don't know about you, but if, if I live that way constantly, that I know that I have been given a free gift that I can never earn on my own. And it leads me to a place where I have a relationship with Jesus Christ who guides me, helps me, coaches me, mentors me, convicts me, and gives me freedom because of my identity that's found in Him, an abundant life. I want to live for that. I want every aspect of my life to reflect that. It's hard, right? It's hard. But he says that. In 12.1 he says, Therefore... Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. So he's telling us, I want to remind you of the reminders that I want you to live with. If you want things to change physically, you must constantly think about the things that have been done for you and what Christ has called you to. But so often we, we have these, these, little, these little compartments in our lives. Where it's easy to come in here on a Sunday morning and say, Woo, God is good all the time. I'm so thankful for Jesus. And then we walk out on Monday afternoon and we throw a cup at the TV because the Cowboys just lost, right? Like, come on. Like, if, if we constantly remind ourselves of, of what has happened in, in the whole book of Romans, not just Romans, but, but the entire scripture from, from, from beginning to end, the, the things that happen because of Jesus, it changes the way we live our lives. And what happens is, is when we get off track, and you will, and I will, we, we remind ourselves, and then we come right back. 
And that's why it's, it's constant. It's a constant reminder. Oftentimes we want to wait until everything hits rock bottom and then we want to be reminded of what Christ does and then we want to call upon Him and say, help, I need your help. I don't know where else to go because I've tried everything and I'm stuck. Like a genie in a bottle, right? Like God on a shelf. The elf's gone, bro. Christmas is over. Elf on the get He wants to be present in all parts of your life and we need to be reminded of that every single day. So He says, therefore, therefore, if we live with this constant reminder, it leads us to number two, a constant sacrifice. A constant sacrifice. So he goes on in, in the verse, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. He starts off, he says, I urge you. I, I beseech you, I, I plead with you, I beg you, I ask of you, I call upon you. You know what this means? It means it's a choice. It's a choice. He says, I urge you to live your life as a living sacrifice. And you have a choice to do that. And I believe that you are where you are in life right now, in your walk with Christ right now, the things that you're doing you don't want to do right now, the relationship with your spouse right now, the relationship with that family member you can't stand right now, all the things that you want changed, I believe, are present because of choice. Now granted, there are things that happen in our lives we have no control over. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about those things. Paul is saying, you have a choice to remember the constant reminders of what Christ has done for you, and then choose to live that out as a living sacrifice. You say, well, what is that? Like, what does that even mean to be a living sacrifice? Because it sounds a little bit profound, or maybe it sounds minimal, and I'm just going to keep reading. I know I've read over it before. And I think the first thing we have to understand about a living sacrifice is to think about what it meant to the original audience. I can promise you when the original audience that Paul was writing to heard be a living sacrifice, they did not read over it and overlook it. Why? Because sacrifice was so common. And it was something that he had to do as an act of worship in the Old Testament. And first century Jews knew it all too well. You see, they had to go. and There were, there were multiple types of sacrifice, but the main one was, was a blood offering, a blood sacrifice. And basically it was a foreshadowing, pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. But what would happen is they would have to take an unblemished, pure animal that was dead and bring it as a sacrifice before God. Can you imagine doing that on a regular basis as an act of worship and now hearing Paul say, be a living sacrifice? Like, say what? Like, we've, been, we've been bringing dead animals. What's that? Now you want me to be the sacrifice? Like you want me to be? Like I can't imagine hearing that. Like what does this actually mean? And Paul is not telling us we need to go and die for Christ physically. Could it happen? Yeah, if you live your life for Christ, and it, absolutely it could happen. But, but what he's saying, I like to say it this way. It's taking our ordinary lives and living it for an extraordinary God. Meaning, every part of our lives should be offered up as a sacrifice to Him. Everything that we do, everything that we say, every response that we have, everything should be a living sacrifice. It's an act of worship. It's holy and acceptable. Meaning, when you go to work, you live your life as a living sacrifice. When you show up at your kid's sport team and they're six years old and you think they're going to the NBA because they made one free throw and you're yelling at the refs because he got a call wrong. Living sacrifice, right? Like, 
It's every part of our lives. But again, back to what I said earlier, we compartmentalize. We say, God, you can have this, but you ain't going to have that. God, I'll give you my Sunday. You're not getting Friday night. I'll give you my, 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 my relationship with my kids, but you're not getting my finances. I'll give you my time, but you're not like... We, 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 can, we compartmentalize everything. And Paul's saying, no, I need you to be reminded of what Christ has done for you. He didn't just give you some, he gave you all. And so what I want you to do is live your life in a way that's holy and pleasing and acceptable to him. And so what we have to do physically is look at the parts of our lives that aren't pleasing to God. And what that means is that you're not sacrificing that part of your life to him. And the byproduct of that is fruit in your life that you're not going to be happy with. It may feel good for a short time. It may be pleasurable for a short time. But the reason that so many people are unfulfilled and unsettled and dissatisfied with life and I just can't figure everything out, I feel like I'm spinning the wheels and I'm hitting a dead end road is because you're trying to do things based off of what you think is right rather than asking God, is this wholly pleasing and acceptable to you? It's, it's a living sacrifice. And it's so hard to do. I'm not, I'm not look, I'm... I can just turn around and like pretend that somebody's preaching this to me. Like I'm not up here to say I got this right. It's hard. I, I'll tell you a story. I'll spare you some of the details. For those that, that know me and my family, we've been on this adoption journey for about three years now where it got shut down because of the pandemic and we've just been waiting and waiting and waiting and, and we're still waiting. But in the meantime, uh, in September, my wife and I got an email and a phone call from our social worker who said, hey, uh, there's a little girl in Lynchburg, Virginia, who's in foster care. It's pretty complex medically, um, but but we're looking for a pre-adopted family. Would you be willing to to bring her into your home and and potentially adopt her? And uh, so my wife and I we started talking, and we we're like, hey, well, you know, we're gonna consider it and pray about it, and talk to our kids. Like, when do you guys need to know? So, well, we need to know tomorrow because we want to put her in your home. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's cool. You know, like, where am I going to eat tonight? Not simple decision, right? Like, it's a lifelong decision. And so, so anyways, we. You know, for sake of time, we, 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 we caught some people. My wife processed on her own. I processed on her own. We came together. We met with our kids. But one of the conversations that kept coming up and word that we used as we were talking to our kids is, are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice? And, and what we were saying is the way that we're living our lives right now, not that it was bad, but we're going to have to change some things to bring a one-year-old, medically complex, special needs child into our home. And are we willing to give that up for her? And, and, and we went through all these different things. Like, when our kids, like, I mean, the reports that we got were just horrible. Like, prognosis unknown. She's a mystery child. Who knows if she'll walk, talk, eat, you know, or live past five. Like, we had to have this conversation with our kids. Are you willing to sacrifice some things to say yes to this little girl? And I don't tell you that story to even really talk about the story itself, but the principle of sacrifice. What we essentially had to do is say, are we willing to give up some things that we want to be able to say yes to this little girl who essentially is way more, you know, way more better. Is that a term? It, it's, we got more benefit, more blessing from the things that we sacrifice to bring this little girl in. And I think that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, are you willing to let go of some things that you want, some things that the flesh wants, some things that you desire to sacrifice for something better? It's, it's not about a bunch of, of rules and, and things that you have to do and not do. 
It's about a relationship with Jesus where we say, here, I, you got all of it. You want it, you have it. I'll give you every part of me. I surrender it all to you. I'll live my life as a sacrifice. And in return, you get so much more than this world could ever offer. Because it's pleasing and holy and acceptable to Him. So what parts of your life are you clinging to that you're not willing to surrender, that you're not willing to sacrifice? I can assure you, if it's something from this world that you're holding on to and you're not sacrificing for something God wants, you're missing out. You're missing out. But just try it. Just start with those areas that you know. And I don't, I'm not going to go through a list of things and say, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Like, you know the things in your life that aren't pleasing to God. I don't have to tell you that. And if you don't know, you're like, hey, what about this? Just come ask me. I'll tell you. Not based on my opinion, but we'll look at God's Word together. If it doesn't fit, it's not holy and pleasing and acceptable to Him. So what are those areas? So, so we live with this constant reminder. Reminders. Which leads to us living our lives as a constant sacrifice. Which then leads to the last thing. Constant transformation. It's constant transformation. When you constantly remind yourself of the things that Christ has done for you, the promises that you have, the help that you have, the encouragement that you have, the guiding, the navigating of life, all the things that He offers us, and then you live your life as a pleasing, holy, acceptable, living sacrifice, there is no other byproduct than transformation. Your life is going to change. Why? Because you're giving it all to the One who can transform you. And so He goes on in verse 2. He says this. He says, do not be conformed to this age or to this world or to this society or to this lifestyle, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, I don't want to talk a ton about the mind here because we're going to talk about that next week from a different passage. But, but he really talks about being conformed versus being transformed. And, and if you will live with a constant reminder and a constant sacrifice, you will not be conformed, you will be transformed. But if you neglect both of those, I promise you, you will be conformed to the things that are pushing in around you. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And so, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on this point as we, as we kind of get ready to close. And y'all know what that means when a preacher says we're closing. Don't get excited, okay? <laughs> Really, I was, I was just kind of, when I was preparing for this, I'm like, what's the most important thing to say about conformity versus being transformed? And what's the application? How do I know? Right? Like, how do I know if I'm being conformed? How do I know if I'm being transformed? And I think one of the most simplistic ways of doing that is to ask yourself, if I spent any amount of time with someone who didn't know me, in any environment, in any situation, would they know that I belong to Christ? Or do I look like the rest of the world? Because if they don't know you belong to Christ, you haven't been transformed. You've been conformed. Conformity happens when, when the things around you begin to influence you and shape you build you into the thing that it is itself. You and I, we're surrounded by it. We walk into it every single day. In our workplaces, our kids are battling for spiritual life in our schools. It's in our government. It's in, it's in everything. 
It's pressing in. And it shouldn't be a surprise because the Bible says it's going to happen. And so that's why it's so important for us to live our lives as a living sacrifice. Meaning, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're saying. I care what this says. And is my life pleasing to God? And if I'm the only one who's doing it, I'm going to be transformed and you can keep being conformed. Like, that's the most important thing. And I think that we, we, we blend that in. And I, I, I mean, you see it all, all the time, like people taking the truth of God's word and saying, well, let's add this. Well, does that really mean this? Well, what about that? It's conformity and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Why? Because we're sinners. And there are people who are living in darkness. And our responsibility as a believer, as a body, is to be transformed. So that we can be a light in the darkness. And so we, do, we can't look at this society as, woe is me, poor, poor, this is horrible. we got to look at this as, there is darkness, which means my light shines brighter. And I'm going to be transformed and not conformed so that I can show people what it looks like to live a life that is holy, pleasing, and acceptable to God, and the transformation that takes place from that. Are you being conformed or are you being transformed? I want to close with a story. I'll ask our band to come up. There's closing number two, by the way. But this is the real story. The band's going to come up. We're going to, we're going to sing a song at the end. But a couple months ago, I, I'm about to tell you a story about chickens. And I never imagined I would be closing a message talking about chickens. But I heard this. It wasn't a story. It was a real life scenario that I was in. And when I heard it, it just, I was like, that's so good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach it one day because it's so profound and I just don't know how I'm going to preach about chickens. But anyways, every year around Thanksgiving, I'm, I go down to South Carolina to my buddy's house. He's a big farmer, him and his family. and They grow crops, but they also have a bunch of chicken houses. And, uh, and I, I, I like to hunt. So I, I go down there and I hunt every year. This is my 13th year going down there that just passed. And, and every year... I see the chicken houses, and, and they have what's called an incinerator. And I'm not going to try to gross you out, but, but based off of health standards and their regulations that they have to have, obviously there's thousands of, of birds, and, and they don't all survive, and you have to dispose of them. And so they put chickens in the incinerator when they die. And so I was coming out of the woods one night, and I was coming around the corner, and I, I passed the, the chicken houses, and the incinerator literally like looked like it was on fire. I mean, there's 12-foot flames blowing out of this thing. And in 13 years, I'd never seen it. I'd smelt the incinerator. I'd seen that it was hot. I'd never seen flames just rolling out of that thing. And I asked my buddy, I said, what in the world is going on, bro? Like, why is the incinerator, like, literally on fire? And he said, oh, we just had a big clean-out. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, every so often after we get birds, basically they, they get them as, as young birds. He said, they're marked. And they're marked male or female. And when they come in off the trucks, we know whether to put the males in the male house or the females in the female house based off of their marking. He said, but what happens is we can't really tell their identity until they get a little bit older. We just go off of those markings. So he says, at a certain time, the people come in and they do a full clean out and they make sure that only females are in the female house and only males are in the male house. And when we do that clean out, we realize how many birds got missed, meaning Males were marked females, and females were marked males, and so they went into the wrong house. And I said, okay, no big deal. Why don't you just take the male, put it in the male house. Take the female, and put it in the female house. 
And what he said to me is what rocked my world. He said, after they spend a certain amount of time in the wrong house, they no longer do what they're supposed to do. Meaning, females that are in male houses will no longer lay eggs when they get older. And males who are in female houses will no longer breed. They will try to lay eggs. He said, so we have to get rid of them. And I started thinking, what a powerful illustration and example of what conformity looks like. That's what conformity looks like. And that's why it's so important for us to live with these constant reminders and live our life in a, in a full, acceptable, pleasing, living sacrifice way so that we can be transformed. Because if not, you're going to say, I'm a Christian. People are going to look at you and say, you don't look like one. You don't act like one. You don't speak like one. Because you're being conformed. So when we talk about physical reset, what are you doing physically with your body that leads you to transformation versus what leads you to being conformed? This right here is so important. Why? Because you're here with fellow believers being sharpened, being encouraged, I hope being challenged by the truth of God's Word. But, but we can't spend all of our time with people in darkness because what's going to happen is we're going to begin to, to be molded and conformed into that. That doesn't mean we don't go and try to reach a lost and dying world. It doesn't mean you don't hang out with people who don't know Jesus. But what it means is that you better be getting the first two right. Because your transformation better be louder and stronger than the conformity that they're going to push in on you. And if you're spending more time on CNN news than you are in God's Word, you got a problem. If you're spending more time on Facebook and social media and all the crap that's there, more than this, you got a problem. Why? Because it's going to lead you into this slow fate of conformity, and then you're going to get to a place where you think truth can be minimized a little bit and say, well, this is what we're doing now. We conformed. So, so the physical reset, it starts here. It starts right here. Understanding the price that was paid for that that is beating inside of your chest. And then understanding because of the price that was paid on it that you did nothing for, didn't deserve, didn't earn, I'm going to give all of it to the one who paid for it. And because of that, I'm going to be transformed. Look, does this mean you got to be perfect? No, please don't hear me say that. Trust me. I mess up daily. You will too. But it means that I'm going to get back to my factory design by reminding myself of what's been done for me, by living my life as a sacrifice, by constantly assessing what is it I need to get rid of that's physically in my life that's not glorifying and honoring to God. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what things you need to get rid of. I don't know what things are, are in your life that you need to hit the reset button on. Not just a soft reset, not just a hard, like, get it out. Remove it. And on the flip side, what are the things that you got to add? What are the things that you need to, to add to your life so that you can be transformed? This is the most powerful tool you got. This is what transforms our lives. It's the truth of God's Word. Being in fellowship, communicating with our Father through prayer. And when you pray, put music in the background. Because I wish this band would stop staring at me and start playing some music. 
Weirdos. Come on up, just stand here, everybody. What's your, what's your physical life look like? Does it represent and honor God? I, I can't tell you what to do, what not to do. Just compare your life to, to the truth of God's Word. And say, hey, I, what area do I need to fix? Just ask me. What's in my heart that I know is? Actually pushing me further away from God instead of closer to Him. What would it look like if we were a church and we're all just seeking the Lord with everything we had being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So for those that think, oh, the church is struggling, oh, look at what's happening, not even a chance. No chance. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church because God has chosen you and I to be a part of that church and to represent Him. That was the mission. That was the plan. That was the factory design. I'm leaving. I'm sending the Holy Spirit here and you're going to take the gospel to all the nations. What needs to be transformed? What do you need to add? What do you need to get rid of? How can you hit that reset button physically? I want to pray over you. We're going to stand and worship together before we dismiss. And y'all can go get some popcorn and watch a movie if you want. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the transforming power of, of you. The power of the Holy Spirit that brings dead things to life. Got it. All of America just got to see the power. Literally. Brought a dead man back to life. In 2023. In front of everybody. I pray that that event that took place will be a simple reminder that you can resurrect the dead things in our lives as well. The marriage is crumbling. Finances that are against the wall. The kid that's ran off doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. A secret sin that you've been hiding. Lord, you can transform all of it. So I pray today, right now, that you would bring those areas in our hearts to the forefront that we need to give over as a living sacrifice to you. We need to surrender. Say it's yours. It's yours. It's all yours. Transform it. Pray that you would remind us today that you created us for a purpose, for a plan. We're not here by mistake. We were created by you and for you. Pray that we can hit the reset button today physically. Lord, I pray today for those that don't know you in this room today. Maybe they've heard the gospel before. Maybe they've ignored it. Maybe they've never heard it. The fact that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We can't get there on our own. 
you sent your son Jesus as the perfect living sacrifice to die on the cross in our place for our sins so that we could spend eternity with you. But not just about heaven. It's about the abundant life that we find in you on this side of heaven. So pray today that person whose who's heart is beating really fast right now their palms are sweating they would understand that's the power of the Holy Spirit that's transforming their heart and bringing a dead heart spiritually to life. They would respond to that today. Say, you want it, you got it. It's all yours. Make you the Lord of my life today, right now. I don't know all the answers. don't understand the Bible fully. What I do understand is I'm tired of doing things on my own. And I give my life to you today, Jesus. God, I pray for everybody in this room. We would transform our lives. We would move in a way that people would say, I know. I know he or she's been with Jesus. Because of the way they live their life. Transform us, Lord. Let us hit the reset button physically. We thank you for who you are to us. We love you. We praise you. We give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. How are you guys doing? That's such an awesome message. Oh, yes. All right, so um, let's stand to our feet. Um, I wanted to read some scripture for you guys. Um, pretend this is a real Bible. I am supposed to have a real one, but this is what I got. All right, so this is Matthew